the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Major news out of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to discuss that. And then, in the culture we live, should Christians have a commitment to kindness? Last week, Willow Creek had to make some major staff cuts. And later, how to not grow spiritually. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon, Aubrey. Big weekend for me. My daughter graduated. We talked I about this saw on the Friday. Online, that's so fun. Congratulations. Talked, thank you. We talked about this on Friday, but Friday it ended up getting postponed because there was imminent weather that never actually came. Uh, But then uh, it ended up being Sunday afternoon was just gorgeous. And Aubrey, it is uh, it wasn't emotional, but it was really fun. Oh, that's cool. uh, I was going to ask you, like, what was it? How did it feel? I mean, they got like 500. Yeah, they got uh, they've got like 550 kids uh, in uh, in the class and, uh, but we knew where to sit. So we could, we spotted her yeah. and she, you know, she waved to us. We're constantly Aww. making eyes. It was, uh, uh, it was really fun. So anyway, can yeah, that is awesome. high school graduate, uh, wow, graduate. Congratulations, so, Brian. That's I know huge. you did some speaking this week, right? I did some speaking this weekend. I spoke at a radiant life church in the church itself is in, Michigan, but I actually, they had a campground just across the border there in Howe, Indiana. So I spoke there and it was fantastic. I mean, one, it was an incredible group of women, but the other thing that was wonderful was that, um, I just, I drove up that morning. I spoke twice. I drove home and I was home by dinner time. And That's so really nice. you know, usually when I'm doing these speaking things, I love them. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sleeping in hotels and I'm not sleeping well. And I, then I'm so tired when I get home. So to be able to just kind of like go in, do my thing, then head on home. It was really a gift and a gift for my family, too, because then I could go to church on Sunday. Of course, I yeah. got home and I still had to make dinner. I was like, has anyone thought about dinner? No, you haven't? All right. I guess mom still has to make dinner. So, you know, that's what the answer uh, answer for me would the answer for me would have been. I thought about it. I thought about (laughs) like that. I want it. Kevin's just like, oh, I don't have a plan. Do you? Oh, bless it. Bless it. Bless it. The, The romantic life of a writer speaker. Never ends. There you go. There you go. So uh, at another time, I'd love to have this conversation, but but uh, you seem like you're speaking a lot lately. Is that a COVID thing or is that just, you know, your book uh, is doing well? Yeah. Yeah. It's a probably a combo we can talk about later, but I, it is post-COVID. Like things are picking up again and events that, um, you know, people had contacted me but then had to cancel or not coming back. But also it is the book's doing really well. And the Lord's just been so kind to give me more and more opportunities to bring the message of the book around and meet some incredible people. And then what's been really fun for me is a lot of these places I'm doing like their events on the weekend, but then staying over and preaching at their church on Sunday morning. And so that's, that's, it's been very, very fun. I'm also thankful to like, I'm home now for the summer. I don't, I'm speaking at renewal a couple of times, but I, I don't have anything until like late August. So I feel grateful for that little break too. I would encourage people to follow you on social media simply for the picture you posted, I believe, this morning or last night of the person who bought your book used. And it was it was personally signed by you to somebody else. I was like, either I should be really offended or like I made it either. I'm offended or I've made it or both are true at the same time. Yes, she bought my book used. She brought it up to me. She was like, I have to show you something. I want you to sign this because you're here. 
but it's already been signed to somebody else. I was like, well. So could you just cross out that name right there? Whoever that person is, I am, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. Aubrey, it was a good weekend for, for many of us. Uh, but what was not good, and I'm sure you saw this, was uh, that the huge sexual abuse report yeah. came out yeah. detailing years upon years of investigation into the Southern yeah. Baptist Convention. Uh, I would encourage people, you could go check out the report. It's hundreds of pages. And... Uh, sadly, Aubrey, I think what most people who spent time, uh, reading it said mm-hmm. was it's worse than we thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's se- worse than we thought. So. 700 cases, right. And that not only was nothing done, but just so much of it was intentionally covered up to protect these, these churches. And it, it's, I mean, it's just evil. I, my heart has been so heavy all morning and I can't imagine what what those, you know, surrounding those churches are really feeling. But you're right, Brian. It's just, it's awful. Evil. Yeah, Russell Russell Moore, who's no longer part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but if you know it all, his story has been very involved in the Southern Baptist Convention for decades. Uh, he wrote a scathing article for Christianity Today entitled, yeah. This is the Southern Baptist Apocalypse. Let me just read a little mm-hmm. bit because I, I need you to hear the emotion behind it. Uh, he calls it an apocalypse, much more than a crisis. And he said, as I read the report, I found that I could not swipe the screen to the next page because my hands were shaking with rage. Mm -hmm. That's because as dark a view as I had of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee, the investigation uncovers a reality far more evil and systemic than I imagined it could be. The conclusions of the report are so massive as to almost defy summation. It corroborates and details charges of deception, stonewalling, and intimidation of victims and those calling for reform. It includes written conversations among top executive committee staff and their lawyers that display the sort of inhumanity one could hardly have scripted for villains in a television crime drama. I I need people to go read this article for the entirety of it, but I think you get the point there, Aubrey. Uh, Russell Moore's uh, indignation and anger there, I think, matches what many people feel that when you realize that the largest denomination in America uh, not only had a sexual abuse problem, but had a cover-up problem, had yeah. a lying problem, had yeah. a power problem. And yeah. to use completely the past tense, I think, would be way too optimistic. And so yeah. Yeah. Uh, these are so hard, but but it is also so important that things like this do come into the light if yeah. any change is ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, it's so heavy. Brian, and it's so sad, and it's so devastating, and it's so criminal, and it's so evil. I mean, it's like hell. I mean, that's language that Russell Moore uses. He calls it hellish. Um, That there aren't a lot of. I mean, this is where I think our our lament muscles really come into handy. Handy. There's not a lot you can say except like. How long, oh Lord? Like, how yeah. could this have lasted as long as it did in your name for your people? And I think this is like what is bringing me to tears when I think about it. Not only the pain of the victims, but like the reputation of Jesus is at stake yes. here. And, mm. um, you know, I came to Christ in a Southern Baptist church. I have my own story of a pastor who very inappropriately hit on me in a Southern Baptist church that I never reported it was not as bad as some of what these other women and children have been through. But I mean, it's just, I, there's not a lot of words, Brian, because it's so heavy and it's so evil. I'm so glad it came out. Like we praise God that he is cleaning house. But at yeah. the end of the day, you're like, you are the largest denomination. Yeah. I, how, 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 how could this have happened? And this is where I go back to, like, I just don't, I think, unfortunately, we just have not valued women. We have not valued mm. girls. We have valued those in power. And this is what's become of it. So in one sense, I mean, this is going to sound like probably a little bit harsh, but like in one sense, I think the SBC deserves whatever happens because of yeah. this. 
Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, we're preaching through the book of First Peter at our church. And yesterday, First mm. Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, I'm going to do it from memory. Peter essentially says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they basically disagree with you and persecute you or whatever, uh, but you live such good lives that they have nothing bad to say about you. And I, and I, be, I mm. talked to our church about the fact that the wow. greatest evangelistic and apologetic tool that we have in our arsenal is your day-to-day life. It's wow. how you live. Wow. It's the difference that you are in the way you love and the way you treat people and the holiness, you know, that you live with. This is the opposite. Like this yeah. is everything that's wrong with power, everything that's wrong with um, the yeah. brokenness of sin, everything yeah. that's been, and it's for it to be decades is just so, oh, it's so difficult. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you want to say, I hope it changes. Like this kind of makes a course correction, but uh-huh. there's nothing that gives you that confidence when there's still people with power and still people yeah. Yeah. with offices. Let me yeah. read how Russell Moore ends his article. And again, you can go get this at ChristianityToday.com. Russell Moore writes, this is the Southern Baptist apocalypse. He writes, uh, that's more, he's just described all that uh, that went on. And he said, that's more than a crisis. It's even more than just a crime. It's blasphemy. And anyone who cares about heaven ought to be as mad as hell. Mm. Like that's strong, strong words, very needed words from Russell Moore today. So a heavy way to start the show, but it is really important. And I'd encourage you to go read the report, go read that article by Russell Moore. Aubrey, as we talked about, it's in some ways, it's a beautiful day. It's, you Mm -hmm. know, the end of the year is coming. Uh, So it's good that we're at the end of the year, but then it's also a heavy day. You and I just spent Mm -hmm. the first 10 minutes of the show talking about that horrific Thick guidepost report that came out yeah. over the weekend detailing the sexual abuse over decades in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the largest denomination in the evangelical world. And so we do, I, I think you said to me off air, you're like, this needs to be grieved. Like it yeah. needs yeah. to be wrestled with and grieved. And if there's any part of you out there, people who are like, oh, why are we still talking about this? Just, you know, let bygones be bygones. I would just suggest you're part of the problem. Go ahead and read it and uh, and wrestle with it. And yeah. to to use a, a word out of out of your playbook, Aubrey, it's something to be lamented and yeah, something to be discussed. So yeah. uh, if you missed our discussion about that, go back and get our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Uh, we do ask that you subscribe, rate, review. That does help us out a lot. Well, Aubrey, David French dove into something uh, through a blog over the weekend through an article that uh, has been a hot button topic in Christian Twitter, if you will, Christian hmm. social media, which usually is where things start and then they percolate and then they yeah. kind of keep going yeah. out. And I would say there are two names that you hear around this topic that quite frankly get, um, I think, unfairly criticized. And if you've been around this show enough, I'm going to say two names that you'll go, oh, yeah, you guys like these two people. One of them is Tim Keller. Yeah. And the other one is David French himself. Uh, and it's over this topic. Should we as Christians be winsome? Should we as Christians be kind? Should we be looking to build bridges? Or are the culture wars so hot right now? Are the stakes so high, whether it be abortion, whether it be transgender uh, things in our schools and other things, that that it's time to fight fire with fire? It's time to... Um, kindness kind of be damned, right? Like we've Mm -hmm. got to kind of pull up our bootstraps and go to battle. And David French wrote an article this weekend called a commitment to kindness does not mean surrendering your convictions. Mm -hmm. And he tries to in the article, and it's a very long one. You can read it at the French press. He tries to talk about what is kindness or what is civility and what is civility not. Because I think a lot of people, when they hear civility, kindness, think that what that means is don't stand up for what you believe. Right. Don't kind of get in the battle. But if you know French, if you know Keller, they're constantly in the battle. They've done, they have decades of experience yeah. and uh, yeah. kind yeah. of this. So all that to say, Aubrey, I've been kind of 
I guess I shouldn't say surprised. Sometimes I'm surprised by the people who are like, not a time for kindness, not mm-hmm. a time for civility. Right. Uh, but I do know the the culture wars of abortion and sexuality and transgender, whatever mm-hmm. else it might be, are pretty yeah. hot right now. So how do you wrestle with this topic? Oh, man. I mean, I, I think I I definitely wrestle with it. So I know there's a difference between being like, quote, unquote, nice and being kind. And sometimes mm-hmm. we think uh, to be a Christian, you have to be nice, which can be interpreted as like silent, right? And not speaking out on things that you think are true. So I definitely that's not right. Like we we can certainly and should certainly use our voices to speak out against evil, to uh, speak about those things that we feel like are part of our Christian convictions. Um, for, for me, though, I, I know you and I talk about this a lot in the show, having civility. That's what I would think about as kindness. Like yeah. you can still... And this is where I'm wrestling because I don't know how to do it perfectly. But I think there is still a way to disagree about things you're very passionate about and Mm -hmm. remain civil and even remain in friendship, even remain in relationship with someone who is just completely on the other other side of of uh, wherever you stand. And um, what. I do think that requires, though, is is relationship, um, something you and I have talked about, like, you need to be having these conversations. We need to be having these conversations in person, mm-hmm. in community, not over text and not over Instagram, social media, Twitter, what, you know, whatever your social media is. Um, because when we forget that there's like a flesh and blood human, it's easier than not to practice kindness and civility. But when mm. you're talking to an actual like brother or sister in front of you, that changes the dynamics of even the way you talk about something. That's right. And um, I don't know. So you hear me even wrestling now, Brian, as I'm talking about it. I, how to do it perfectly, I don't know. But I do think our commitment to civility matters because we believe that every person was created in the image of God, deserves honor and dignity. We also know that Jesus never, um, you know, uh, put a dividing line between him and people he disagreed with. Now, he called mm-hmm. Pharisees out. He called religious religious leaders out. But then he was still at their dinner parties. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it's difficult. I, let me read to you, David French. He says there are two fundamental truths, and I think a lot of people would disagree with them right now. But these are two fundamental truths that he lives by. He says, first, a commitment to kindness does not require surrenders on matters of conviction. Uh, he says you can uh, when your convictions relate to matters of fundamental justice. He basically says you do not have to. Conviction and and kindness do not run contrary to each other. Mm. You can hold both of them. Mm. And the second one is kind of like that. He says, secondly, a defense of your convic- of convictions should never require or permit cruelty. So he's basically saying okay. we too often link. I'm going to stand up for my convictions with I have to do this in a cruel, unkind mm, manner. Let me yeah. just make a point out that I would say our political discourse over the yeah. last eight years, six years is really pl- I don't think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were having a discussion about should Christians be kind <laughs> And should we, even when we stand up for our convictions, should we be kind? I think the landscape has changed. Mm -hmm. And I do think our politics, our cable news, uh, the way that we always look at people we disagree with as our enemies. I think that's what's informing this conversation. Uh, Tim Keller hasn't changed, but I don't remember 10 years ago people writing Tim Keller does this wrong articles. No, absolutely. So for me, I think we have to look at go, okay. It's actually our culture that's changing. Mm. It's becoming more cruel, more Mm. vitriolic. Mm. Can that is that also the call on the church? And I think you and I would both say, obviously not. We have to stand up against that while standing up for our convictions because people, that's the way it's been for decades. Right. And knowing like we will, you know, we had Ed Stetzer on a few months ago and he talked about like because it is uh, increasingly post Christian society, there will be pushback on our beliefs. Like we have to be. Not okay with that, but I think prepared for that, prepare for 
uh, criticism, right? Prepared to be ridiculed and mocked for some of the things that uh, many of us as Christians um, believe and stand up for and voice. But that still doesn't justify us treating anybody with unkindness. Like, you know, Jesus himself talks a lot about turning the other cheek, loving Mm. your enemies. Like, I, I think this is where the way of Jesus is hard, right? Like we can't, but we also can't ignore the way of Jesus. If we call ourselves Christians who are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that means every part of our lives, including our political discourse, the way that we treat each other, people talk about and to other people, including that should be in submission to Jesus Christ. And might I suggest, and French goes through this from a personal story in the article here, might I suggest that one of the best ways to win people to your side very well might be kindness. There's an old so saying, true. kill them with kindness, yep, right? So true. And that you will see people as they're treated differently by you than what they're expecting, or maybe then they're even treating yeah. you, yeah. that they might be more open to your thoughts, more, oh, oh, we're not, we're not having a fight here. Oh, we're not fighting this out might be the best thing you can do. Let me read how David ends this part of his article. He says, a kindness doesn't conflict with conviction and our commitments to kindness are biblically inseparable from our commitments to justice. We aren't to choose between them. We are to embrace them both. Uh, friends, I would tell you if you, if, if Christian Twitter and the other things are any sort of uh, landscape. If they're showing us anything about the landscape, this conversation's only going to increase. Increase a lot of pastors yeah. out there who think the time for kindness has passed, right. uh, and others of us go, no, it's still biblical. Uh, it is still. This is going to be a important conversation, especially in the in the current political climate that we live. Aubrey, I forgot to tell you. In the midst of graduation this weekend for my daughter and other uh, fun things that our family was able to do. You want to know, uh, I showed my kids a a mid-80s classic movie this weekend. What was it? I showed my children Top Gun. Oh, no way. And did it hold up? Because I haven't seen Top Gun in a very long time. It did. They enjoyed it. Uh, Part of this was because now you're seeing. I don't know. Part of it was out of like, though, there's this new Top Gun coming out. People are raving Uh, about the new one. I will remind people, if you are going to show your kids Top Gun, there is a very particular scene with Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis that you're just going to want to fast forward. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So it's a, just a good reminder if you have children in the room. <laughs> that scene. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> that exact scene. Uh, but other than that, it plays well. When, when Goose dies, my kids looked at me like, is he? Wait. They just killed off Goose. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that kind does. It feels that. like. It feels like it sets itself up for the new movie, which I definitely want to see. I want to do a little bit of research about what age it's good for. You just never know right now. But yes, Top Gun. Uh, it was it was fun. I haven't seen that movie in yeah, a long time. I haven't seen it. So like Meg Ryan's in that movie. That's early Meg Ryan. It's early Meg Ryan. It's early Tim Robbins. Anthony uh, Edwards. Anthony Edwards yeah. is Goose. Val it's Val Kilmer as Iceman. And everybody's uh, in that movie. Yes, yes, and uh, yeah, Bacon? it's a it's it was good. <laughs> Kevin six degrees at Kevin Bacon. Oh, no, he yeah. was in full foot loose at that time. So, oh, that's uh, true. no he Kevin was busy. Bacon. So, yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun. Top Gun held awesome. up and awesome. Uh, all right, but I do want to tell you about something absurd that I read this weekend. Are you ready for this story? I don't know if I'm ready because you kind of hinted at it. I'm a little bit nervous, but let's go. Let's go. This is out of the New York Times. Okay. In almost every way, this is out of Tokyo. Okay, in almost every way. Uh, Akihiko Kondo is an ordinary Japanese man. He's pleasant and easy to talk to. He has friends and a steady job and wears a suit and a tie to work. There's just one exception. Mr. Kondo is married to a fictional character. Uh, His beloved, Hatsune Miku, is a turquoise-haired, computer-synthesized pop singer who has toured with Lady Gaga and starred in video games. After a decade-long relationship, one that Mr. Kondo says pulled him out of a deep depression, he held a small unofficial wedding ceremony in 2018. Miku, in the form of a plush doll, wore white, Mm -hmm. and he was in a matching tuxedo. Uh, In Miku, Mr. 
Kondo has found love, inspiration, and solace, he says. He and his assortment of Miku dolls eat, sleep, and watch movies together. Sometimes they sneak off on romantic getaways, nope. posting photos on Instagram. The rest of the article, and I might read some of it, he's going to try to say, let me explain myself. Okay. Let me tell you. From okay. the number of times you said, uh-uh, and no... That's what I expected. Tell me your initial reaction. Well, I do want to hear him explain himself. I mean, one, she's real cute. Like I'm looking at the pictures of her, and I'm like, yeah, I could see why you, I could see why you'd fall for her with her blue <laughs> you know, hair and her big blue doll. eyes. Um, okay, here's honestly, okay, I, I was like taking notes when you're reading the art because here's the problem. This to me is a problem about like what people think a woman is. Two, what people mm. think marriage is. Three, what people think love is. Like there is a, um, there is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, like paltry, reductionist, uh, mm. uh, um, I can't, I, I'm, the word I'm looking for is not coming to mind, but like a, a sadly thin understanding of what companionship marriage love and women are with this i mean it just to me this is so heartbreaking i i'm grateful that this character brought him out of depression Mm -hmm. or what have you but that's not the same as like love and real companionship and to me this says that love is consumption that love is Uh... all about the one person that women actually like aren't whole beings it doesn't matter if you marry an actual human woman you can just marry a fictitious figure or a robot i also think we talked about faith popcorn on the show year a year ago and she predicted that there'd be more and more marriages like this and i also think a little bit i mean this is kind of a like a sideways thing to say but hear me out we are sitting here fighting over politics online and like, hello, uh, Christians, people are marrying fictional characters and dolls. Mm. Like we have got to remember our call to show people the real love of Jesus and get away. Like we have lost our mission when we are, aren't like caring for people like this because yep. we're so sidetracked by these other things. I don't know. I, that, layers of feelings a lot. are coming up. Yeah. So, and before you think this guy's 38, before you just think this is a one-off, listen to this. Mr. Kondo is one of thousands of people in Japan who have entered into unofficial marriages with fictional characters uh, in recent decades, served by a vast industry aimed at satisfying the every whim of a fervent, fervent fan culture. Tens of thousands more around the globe have joined online groups where they discuss their commitment to characters from anime, manga, and video games so this is not just this dude right he's he's part of the story yeah this to me is i think you hit on some of the really important things uh a complete misunderstanding of what love is what marriage is what uh human interaction is what real life is this but it also uh aubrey i think you bring up a good point this is going to grow not shrink uh, yeah, artificial exactly. intelligence is growing. Yeah. Uh, the reality yeah. of characters like in video games and like, think about, you know, when we were growing up, no one ever thought, well, that Nintendo character seems really lifelike because they weren't. But right. now there's right. this blurring, this That's weirdness true. that was That's funny true. before. Right. What was the movie mm-hmm. where the guy who was wanting to date Siri on his phone? But yeah, yeah. I mean, you're reading of this in The New York Times. You're saying thousands. I do think your your call to the church right now of going, hey, online world is really morphing people's visions of fundamental things like love and marriage and we as a church need to uh get uh, our mind around that and speak into that quickly yeah and i think cast like a stronger vision for what real companionship real commitment real love looks like um i also i mean you know, I, I don't think this is fair, but like years ago, I think we would have heard the story and said that person is perverted. Like we would not have been like, yeah. oh, this is a but right now what's interesting to me is even the way The New York Times is talking about it is he, almost applauding a person for like um, breaking out of societal norms. Mm. And I I think that's too far like i don't think that we can celebrate or applaud this as just like oh way to go they're just overcoming you know traditional stereotypes like no this is this is not okay like we have completely this man has completely disembodied and objectified himself 
by mm-hmm. not um, choosing to be in a relationship with a flesh and blood person. And I mean, it just, it, it's a little bit, I mean, it's, let's be honest, it's a little funny and crazy. Like, but I, but <laughs> yes. I don't think that's probably like the longings underneath. Like if we're going to actually be people of compassion, the longings underneath that are what we need to address and, and think about it, you know, especially as we're preaching the gospel. And I would especially think it to be funny and this and that if it wasn't growing. Uh, yeah, but yeah. there's a name for this. Mr. Kondo sees himself, he says, as part of a growing movement of people who identify as, quote, fictosexuals. That's partly what has motivated him to publicize his wedding and to sit for awkward interviews with news media around the globe. He's wanting to basically be the spokesperson. And he says, we are increasing with yeah. the increase of AI, the increased reality and And he used this line and I'll leave it at this because this honestly, I think this line should tell should uh, uh, really scare us. It says this pretend people, true feelings, Mm -hmm. pretend people, true feelings. I don't think that that we I don't think that's okay. And uh, so, yes, there there is something to laugh about this. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think that we've got to get our minds around this because this is increasingly the way of the world. Aubrey, I feel like this is the epitome of our show. The first 45 minutes of this show today. If you've <laughs> missed it, go get the podcast because it's yes. the epitome. Heavy, heavy yes. discussion about the Southern Baptist Convention yeah. and the sexual abuse report that just came out. Wrestling as pastors and Christians, do we still need to be kind in the midst of culture wars? And then talking about a story of a rise of fictosexuals. <laughs> Welcome to the common good, everybody. <laughs> it is That is us uh, in a nutshell yep, right there. So if you've right. missed the show, go get the podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review. That does help us. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. Uh, you said before the break, you would classify yourself as a Swifty. Yeah, uh, I that like being Swift. That being a fan of Taylor Swift, let me ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Ooh, okay. Are you more a Swifty or a Belieber? Oh, I have to. I have to choose. Yes, <laughs> it's the old meme. Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. Why not both? I I don't know that I can choose. I like both. I've seen the Beebs in concert. I have not seen T Swift in concert. I probably listen to Taylor more than I listen to the Beebs, but I love me some Justin Bieber. I can't, okay. I can't deny it. So I don't, I'm very torn. What about you? Neither. <laughs> no, here's the deal. I listen to a lot of Taylor Swift these yeah. days because I have two daughters, especially, ah, yes. uh, especially my 13 year old yes. loves Taylor, loves her some Taylor Swift. And so we'll get in the car. She's like, dad, can we listen to my playlist? And sure, oh, no, no good dad says no, right? Unless right. the common right. good is on. But other than that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I feel like, uh, yes, I would be dad of the year if I ever found some Taylor Swift concert oh, tickets. Oh, you got to do that someday that'd be amazing yeah, aren't those tickets like yeah hundreds and yeah. hundreds of dollars it's wild how much concerts so. cost right now yeah <laughs> it is crazy so anyway you might be asking why taylor swift why are we discussing taylor swift well taylor swift spoke to the graduates at new york university the other day she was uh, given a honorary doctorate aubrey how badly do you want an honorary doctorate i'm I know. I was telling you off air, like the school's just giving out doctors left yes. and right. Here I am trying to earn one. And I'm like, come on. I, I want somebody just to give me one. How about Lee? Do you want one? Not only would I love one, I would also make people call me doctor. Oh, 100%. And- I know that that is controversial because you're not supposed to use the title doctor if you didn't actually earn the degree. But I'd say I earned it because clearly I was famous or influential enough that they decided to give me one. Seriously, like you weren't famous enough to get one. I was. So call me Dr. Taylor Swift for sure. So Taylor Swift was famous enough to get one, even Mm -hmm. though ironically she has yet to graduate undergrad. So that's (laughs) what I was wondering. Like, does she even have an undergrad degree? She does not. Wow. She does not. But here is something she said to the graduates let me read the quote because aubrey i do think there's something there's a window into our culture there's a window into how the next generation thinks i think uh and there's also a window into um 
there's biblical answers to what she says. So let me read to you what she says. She said, I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when, who you are now and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. There was something in that quote that I was like, Oh, that's like a mantra. And she sets a lot of the mantras of that, of the next generation, right? Yeah, she does. As somebody who's written a book on identity Mm -hmm. and who God calls you, this idea, Aubrey, that you could be whoever you want to be, it's totally up to you. Mm -hmm. But her acknowledging, she's made it, but her acknowledging that that is also really terrifying. I found this to be a wonderful window into it, especially the the message the next generation's getting. Yeah, I, I would actually love to know your thoughts about it. I, I think this was interesting to me because in one sense, I don't think it's totally up to you. I mean, it's very, like, right. very American to be like, I am f- a fiercely independent individual. I can do whatever I want. But the reality is, like, if I even think about Taylor Swift's life, I mean, she had uh, her mom supporting her. She's got a whole group of people around her. And... Also, what this uh, totally dismisses is that God may have a plan for her life Mm. or your life or my life. Um, I actually appreciate the part that she says, I have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Because for those of us who follow Christ, we know it's not totally up to us. And therefore, we're not afraid. Like, we trust God in it. But what I... What the other thing I appreciate that I don't even know if she intended it this way, Brian, is I think if it was up to us, totally that would be terrifying. And so it's interesting in this message is some some truth and I think some cultural lies as well. What do you think about it? I mean, Taylor Swift is the poet of our day. She is one of the philosophers of our day. So I'll I'll yeah. give her that. Yeah. Um Aubrey, I think you're right. I think the it is terrifying news to say it's all up to you. Now, later mm-hmm. on, she talks about the per, like you need to give effort. She literally said effortlessness is a myth. Like, don't just wait around. So there was much more to this. But I do think you're right. Uh, you can't just teach people uh, pull your whatever you want to do. You can achieve if yeah. you just work harder. Yeah. Aubrey. I would have loved nothing more in my life than to be the starting shortstop for the New York Mets. <laughs> if you had asked me when I was 12 years old, what do I want to be? Yeah. But you'd want to know some things that worked against me. Baseball skills. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, or, you yeah, know, I, I might right. think I might think that I also could have been the play by play announcer for the Mets. Like maybe I had that in me. But you want to know what else what worked against me? Opportunity. Like, you got to get really lucky along the way. And so when we tell people, put your identity in what you can do and you can accomplish anything, I think that sets people up for an identity crisis. Gosh, I wanted to be Mm -hmm. this and I wasn't able to accomplish it. So therefore, I'm a failure. I must have done something wrong. And and I don't. And it's hard to hear that from somebody who is probably the biggest pop star in the world right now because she did do it. But there were probably a hundred other pathways that could have easily happened in her life where she wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's so important for us to think about is that we have when we hear these types of messages, I do think we have to remember where they're from. And when you hear it from someone who sort of is on top in my in my mind, sometimes it can come across as a little bit condescending because it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, easy for you to say. And it's not. <laughs> She's worked her tail off to get where she is. So, like, don't don't get me wrong. I love Taylor Swift, so don't hear me undermining her hard work. But also, like, she's 1%. She's less than 1% of the entire population. She's less than 1% of all the musicians in the world trying to be Taylor Swift. So yeah. I, And then also, again, I think it just totally removes, like, maybe there's an outside power who has a plan for your life and not that you're like this mindless robot and not that God is a puppet master, but like you aren't alone. We have God to, to pray to and to guide us. And he makes our pathways straight as the Lord, Mm -hmm. as the scriptures tell us. And so this is a little bit of a hopeless message, even though I think it sounds, it sounds great. Yeah. 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 And beyond even what you're going to do, her message was, you decide who you're going to be like, go do it. And as your book helped us to see anyone who's read your book, like 
God has already made declarations about who we are. And that's, that's right. comforting. Like those don't change yeah. whether I work my dream job or I don't work my dream job, whether I'm the shortstop that's for the right. Mets or I can't even hardly play slow pitch softball anymore. Right. Like it doesn't yeah. it that's doesn't right, change. Our identity is still found in Christ. Brian, I'm going to I'm going to give a throwback to last week. We had an incredible lift conference in studio with uh, pastors Tara Beth Leach, Romel Williams, Brian Nelson. And I think if you're going to go back and listen to any podcast episode, listen to that one. That was from last Thursday. It was so powerful talking about the state of the church, how the church can move forward after COVID, what the future of the church looks like, and just incredible to hear from leaders in different really capacities and with yeah. different perspectives on things too. Like not everyone in that room necessarily agreed with each other, but it was Really, really, really powerful. Um, uh, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, one of the things I love doing about this show is getting to rub shoulders with people like that. Like, I would never have met, likely, uh, you know, a Ramel Williams. Mm -hmm. And to hear yeah. him talk about his love of preaching, oh, his commitment so to the word, mm -hmm. uh, was just, it was inspiring for me. And yeah. so... Uh, I would encourage people, if you missed it, go get our podcast and you could check it out. It's, we always tell you to go get the podcast, but like we want you to get the podcast to listen to what we have to say. But sometimes when we tell you to get the podcast, it's to really, yeah, it, it, it's going to be really worth your time. And so I'd encourage you. I think what day was that? Thursday? I think that was mm -hmm. Thursday. Yeah, it, that was it Thursday. really was cool. It really was good. Yeah, very, very cool. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about with these pastors is really the church moving forward. And it's kind of, kind of a timely question as last week, uh, you know, Willow Creek, one of the one at one point, one of the largest mega churches around, certainly one of yeah. the largest churches in Illinois, um, they had to, they announced major staff cuts. They had to let go of 35 percent of their staff Oh, and, wow. um, you know, I, we'll we'll talk about that in just a minute, Brian, but I wanted to play some of Dave Dummett, who is now the senior leader at Willow, um, talking about the decision that they made and then even praying for the staff because it's kind of a lesson in church leadership during a really hard time. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Uh, as we've analyzed our staffing costs, um, we need to make a change. The rule of thumb for healthy churches is to maintain staffing costs at or below about 50% of your total operating budget. And currently, our staffing comprises 72% of our operating budget. So the hard reality is that we're in the process of right-sizing our staff, which unfortunately means uh, some reductions. You know, we, we know this impacts individuals and families greatly, and we're committed to walking through this and as honoring a way possible, as gracious and as generous as we can be, caring for both those who are leaving and those who are going to be staying on our, in our staff. And I just wanted to let you know that uh, because I'd like to ask you to join me in praying for our entire staff in the coming days and weeks. We're trusting God to lead and guide each of us as we take next steps with him, even, even when they are challenging. In fact, I'd like to invite you to pray uh, with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, um, in one sense, we are super grateful for all the ways that you're moving uh, to build our church, to, to take us not just through, but out of this pandemic and to begin to see momentum again. And we feel it. We, we see statistics rising. We see an energy in our services. Lord, we, we feel um, a corner turning. <laughs> But Father, at the same time, we know that part of our moving forward is, um, is going to be impacting staff families, um, some of our staff families in a way that is just difficult. And so we take a moment right now, and we just ask God that you help us to be wise. We pray, God, that you would go with and be close to those families. And Lord, help us to transition um, and help them to transition as best way possible. Lord, thank you for the way that you're moving in our church. Thank you, God, that even the good and the bad, that you're close to us and that you are a good God and we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so 
you know, one of the things I, I can't imagine how difficult this must have been to tell, first of all, the staff that you had to let go. That's right. But then also that because of, you know, the they're at like 50% of their operating budget because of um, COVID, because of church attendance has dwindled down so much. And so having to reduce staff expenses to 52%, you know, I, I, I'm not good with numbers, but basically, you know, <laughs> that's a major, major right. amount of budget cuts and staff cuts, which obviously no one a few years ago would have, you know, Willow Creek, I mean, let's be honest, Willow Creek had, had some major hits because of everything that went with high bulls, but I still don't think anyone would have said this is where Willow Creek would be in right. May of 2022. And yeah, I th- go ahead, Brian. I, I just think that uh, COVID's a big deal, but I also mm-hmm. do think that the Hybels fallout is a big part of this because, yeah. like you said, Willow Creek, it's not, it, maybe it was no longer the biggest church in America, but I think you could make a really strong case that it was the most influential mega church, kind of the first of its kind. Yes, absolutely. And birthed kind of a movement and yeah. a lot of other churches. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, I think COVID plays into this, but I also think the fallout, like we, we talk a lot on this show about the effects of lack of character and integrity yeah. in our leaders. Yeah. And I think this is an example. Like Dave Dummett, for, for, I've never met the man, but everything mm-hmm. I've heard, he was a friend of Ian's back when we were doing the yeah. show together. Yeah. Everything I've heard about him is just impressive dude. Like Absolutely. This is, and uh, I know you know staff members there. I mm-hmm. think we know a lot of impressive staff members. And we so do. unfortunately- faithful, faithful people. Yeah. I think they're needing to pick up the pieces primarily- of the fallout from the past leadership. Mm. And then I think COVID became the accelerant. COVID mm. became kind of the feel. So I wouldn't even say COVID's the reason. Yeah. Uh, and they're making a respectable decision here, right? He says yeah. that, you know what, you should be this much percent should go towards staffing. And we were way bloated. Like we were yeah. way above it. So this yeah. stinks, but we've got to take care of that. And we're going to try to take care of people like they're doing it the right way. But yeah, I do think in the church world, Aubrey, when you see Willow Creek needing to do stuff like that, it's an eye opener for sure. It absolutely is. And I, you know, I think it, it would be easy for us to kind of look at that and go, Oh, well they get what they deserve. But I really Mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I feel such compassion for that. Those church Mm -hmm. leaders right now, because you're right. Like Dave Dummett is trying to make right what has been wrong in a massive institution. The Seems the, like cam- the campus pastors at the various uh, locations are honestly faithfully serving. And so in one sense, though we would never, we would never laud what happened with Bill Hybels or be okay with that, uh, the way he treated women or misused women, abused women. Um, I think we can still feel compassion for the fact that this church is going through something really, really significant that a few years ago you would have never guessed that Willow Creek would yeah. be going through. And in one sense, I, the reason that I wanted to air of Dave Dummett's speech is because I appreciate as a leader that he prayed for the church, prayed for the staff members, and just said very boldly, here's what we have to do. This is That's really right. hard. Because at the end of the day, they could have done this in secret. Now, people would have found out as word spread. But the fact mm-hmm. that they went forward and just said, look, we're having to let these staff members go. I'm sure the staff members at that point already knew it was coming or maybe had already been told the news. Um, but I, it, to me, this just felt like, oh, man, we got to we got to keep praying for the church post COVID and post some of these terrible leadership um, crises and. Trust, like God is still in control. This is still yes. God's deal, as the Lyft conference panelists said last week here on the Common Good. Um, but also, like, let's let's just keep praying, right? And let's just keep cheering the church on as much as we can. Absolutely, anyway. uh, you know, none of none of us want to have to go through that. Yeah, and you can learn from watching other people go through it. So yeah. I think it's a lesson in character. It's yeah. a lesson in hard decisions. And what's the future of the church like Willow Creek look like? I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, Brian, was it last week or two weeks ago? One of our top five lists was the our favorite SNL Saturday Night Live sketches of all time. Two weeks ago, I believe. Okay, okay. And have you gone back and watched uh, either some of the old clips or, like, have you watched SNL recently since we had that conversation? I have not, although 
a couple months ago, I got into a, uh, I went down like a little bit of a Saturday Night Live rabbit hole and watched some of the old Chris Farley stuff, some of the old Funny. Adam Sandler. Yeah. Adam Sandler recently uh, spoke at a college graduation, and we've been showing commencement ones, and he was hilarious. Oh, really? So they, oh, nice. Yeah. They are so fun to uh, to go back and watch. And I know you're about to get into it. Saturday Night Live this past week, it's a big transition time for them. Yeah, it's a big transition time for them. It, it, it's the end of their season, but it was also the end of um, – various seasons for longtime cast members, some of which have been on the cast for 10 years. Mm. A.D. Bryant, Kate McKinnon, and Pete Davidson all said goodbye as their final show on Saturday night. And Brian, I got to tell you, I watched, I'm going to play some of this audio for us. I watched some of their moments where they said goodbye and I got a little emotional. (laughs) So uh, let's go ahead and listen to Pete Davidson, Kate McKinnon, and A.D. Bryant saying goodbye to Saturday Night Live. Oh, Colin and Che and millions of people only watching to see if I bring up Kanye. I appreciate SNL always having my back and allowing me to work on myself and grow. And, you know, thank you to Lauren for never giving up on me or, you know, judging me even when, like, everyone else was. And for believing in me and allowing me to have a place that, like, I could call home with the memories that'll last uh, a lifetime. So thank you, guys. Future trends in 10 nice years. In a friend I couldn't have done this without. Out is pretty little bouquet. Expensive tiara. And Michael Che! No! But I'm just hearing something new is in. In my best guys kissing me. Well, then we must. Okay, Brian, so I I don't know that I got emotional for those people in particular, you know, but because it's graduation season and kind of that time when school's ending, we're moving into summer, lots of of commencements are happening. I think I got emotional because of that. Like a season is ending. And as much as I love summer, and I really do love summer, there's a little bit of... uh, uh, mixed emotion. All of that can be uh, like peppered with a little bit of sadness. So your your daughter graduated she on did. Sunday, and you were saying mostly it was really fun. Like that didn't feel emotional to you mm-hmm. at all. Was there ever a, a a glimpse of sadness? Do you think that'll come when she goes to college? Uh yes. Yeah. It, that's when it's going to be. But I do think it's been interesting. I was telling my wife this the other day that. One reason that graduation itself, the ceremony, didn't feel emotional is because there's been so many lasts. Like they just Mm. (laughs) – it got to the point you're like, can we just have the ceremony? Can we (laughs) just do this? Yeah. But there's been that. And I just think it also builds upon itself. So you get to it uh, and you just feel this immense pride and it's just a fun ceremony. Like I think if she had gotten up to talk or had done something, it might have been like, oh, but – uh, it, it was a very celebratory day, and so exactly, I do think Aubrey, there there is. You and I've talked about this often. There's regularly the passage of time, mm-hmm. the things coming to an end, the yes. we're moving from this to this, and it happens. I think most frequently with our kids, yeah, because they're constantly moving to the next stage. But I do think you know. Uh, when you move on from a church or you move on from a job, when a f- you know, a good friend moves away when mm-hmm. uh, whatever there's all sorts of like where you're like, well, you move away from a house where you raised your kids or you've lived for a long time. Uh, I think there are so many moments in life where you do have to say goodbye and close that you're yeah. it probably sneaks up on you, too. Like, oh, I'll never forget. Here, let me tell you the story. When we yeah, I was on staff at Glen Ellen Bible Church for 10 years. And it was out of Glen Ellen Bible Church that we started Four Corners Community mm-hmm. Church. And so it was a, a very good, very healthy. It was not like, yeah. you know, there was no tension. Like it yeah. was all good. Love and that. so the last Sunday we're going to be there, they get up our whole team. It was kind of centered around. It was like a commissioning service. Right. Cool. And so we're singing. Love and, this. and so part of it was me. I didn't preach the sermon, but I got up to talk about 
you know, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Here's what, here's where we're at. Also, mm-hmm. thank you for your support. It was just yeah. kind of that yeah. kind of a goodbye. I got up. I'll never forget it. I was like, oh, I'll be totally fine. Like I'm just playing this role. I'm super excited to go plant the church. Like this is yeah. all good. I got up and I wept. Just <gasps> no, did you really? Like couldn't control myself. And oh, I eventually Brian. got through it. But I remember it sneaking mm. up on me wow. so much. Like I went into that morning going, I, wow. we've said our goodbyes and wow. it's all good. We're starting what we dreamed about. Like there was nothing mm. bad. It's not like I'd mm. lost my job or anything. Yeah, right. And I got up and looked out over the church that was sending us out. And I just, it was all emotion. And I think that mm. happens to us. Like we get surprised by. Yeah. Because I was leaving a place that I loved and a job yeah. that I loved where I, yeah. you know, I, you know, my, fr- my three kids were born and, and mm-hmm. in that church, you know, it was all mm-hmm. of that. And so uh, I think emotions surprise us and uh, they jump at you when you kind of sit yeah. back and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. life is moving forward. I know at my, my commencement just a couple of weeks ago, I, there was this moment where there were a few of us, you know, we, we had graduated, we'd gone through the mm-hmm. ceremony, we'd taken all of our class pictures, we'd taken our family pictures. Then there were about 10 of us just like sitting on the steps um, uh, at Armour. It was actually Armouring, if you know Wheaton oh, College. Oh, really? Just yeah. Sitting on the steps. And um, I don't know, like we just didn't want to leave. Like it, it felt very emotional. Like, and I think a lot of us were actually, and I know I was even beforehand, like, oh, I don't have time to go to a commencement. I got stuff mm-hmm. to do. Like, but then all of a sudden you have this ceremony and you, I think you sort of realize probably like you, when you're launching this church, like the gravity of what's happening, it's so good and so meaningful, but you're also like, I am leaving this space that's been transformative for me in relationships. Right. And, and so sometimes I think goodbyes are really bittersweet in that way, which is why even on SNL, you see these like hilarious people are getting emotional as they're talking about their own goodbyes. Brian, with just like a minute that we have left for anyone who's in a goodbye season right now, and it feels really, really hard. Do you have any words of just pastoral wisdom for them? I, this sounds weird. I would celebrate the difficulty of it, especially mm. if it's a good heart. Yeah. If it's a bad heart, uh, you know, loss, a death, uh, you know, job loss, that's different. But if you're like, hey, my kid's going to college or I'm moving on to a new job that I'm excited about or I'm moving to a new opportunity, lean into the, di- lean into the emotion of it. Like, it's okay. Like, that's, that's okay. And I would celebrate that on some level. Uh, and then also celebrate what the future holds. Like, don't just think about the past and the regret, but your future, whether it's that new opportunity or this new, like even with my daughter leaving school, yeah. going to college, I'm going to be super sad when she leaves, but it's going to be fun that she's yeah, in college, even yeah, for us being parents that. of a college student. So celebrate what's coming. Yeah, that's a good word for all of us. It is the end of the evening on Monday, the end of the show, I should say. And at the end of the show, we love to bring you something inspiring or challenging or something just to put a smile on your face and um brian i wanted to talk about how we don't grow spiritually some ways <laughs> that we will not grow spiritually uh how about you do you have any before we dive into an article that i want to read uh do you uh have ways not to grow spiritually i have a lot of ways to not grow spiritually <laughs> uh, i would there's a couple that i think are I think the best way to not grow spiritually is to um, be okay with, and here's a weird word for it, like coddle sin, like allow sin to just kind of be present, right? Like we're told in scripture to war against sin and to cut Mm. it out and to repent and to turn. Mm. And I think a lot of times we're good with sin just kind of sitting there because that's not that bad or it's not going to grow. It's like that cavity though in your mouth that if you don't get it taken care of, it's going to keep. Causing, so I think that's one for me. Apathy. If you see just ap- yeah. a, a spirit of apathy in your life, yeah, um, that's it's hard to grow when you're apathetic. Think about your marriage. Like if you're apathetic mm-hmm. towards your spouse and not really putting any energy or time towards that relationship, after a year you sit back and you go, "Why aren't we growing as a couple?" Well, because you didn't do it. You just right, kind you of stopped. mailed it in. Because you stopped growing as a couple, right? <laughs> right. And so if you if you mail it in. Um, I think so. Those are really big picture ones. You know, I think people are going to want to like 
more nailed down, like, you know, maybe if you're not going to church or you're mm-hmm. not doing that, like those could be ones. But I think on a big picture, yeah. allowing sin to just be present yep. or allowing a spirit of apathy to kind of yep. take over are, are two easy ways to not grow. Yeah, th- those are good ones. I, I would affirm that both of those and that spirit of apathy thing, I think, is kind of that slow drift, right? Like yes. You don't even realize it's happening and soon you're just totally off course spiritually. That's certainly a way that you won't grow. Okay, well, it's kind of a funny way to say it, ways you won't grow spiritually. But That's Dan right. Darling over at churchleaders.com is asking that question. And he answers with uh, five ways to ensure that you will not grow spiritually. This first one, he says, is kind of, um, I think, a spinoff of that apathy we were just talking about. He says, number one, don't be intentional about your spiritual life. (laughs) Uh, He says, I am amazed at how little Christians prioritize their spiritual growth. If you treat church as something you don't feel, uh, something you do, if you don't feel it. Sorry, let me start that whole sentence over. If you treat church as something you do, if you feel like it then don't be surprised if you don't get fed at the place you worship. So basically, if you're not prioritizing church, God's word, prayer, spiritual disciplines, he says you won't grow. I, you I think that's very accurate, right? I, I do. And obviously people can read this. He writes this in an interesting way of how not to grow. You can yeah. just flip these to positives yes. if you do want to grow. Uh, but yeah, I, I yes and amen. And you have been to have guilty, intentionality. Yep. Been guilty of this many yep. times. Uh both in my past and recently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's an interesting one, Brian. Here's another way not to grow spiritually. I want to know. I want to know what you think about this. He says two. always hang out with people just like you. Hmm. So he says one of the ways God stretches us is by placing us with people who are radically different from us. We live in a world of radical individualization. And if you are not careful, this can creep into your life, especially as you get older and more secure in your worldview. You'll be tempted to hang out only with people who agree with you and reinforce your own biases that will keep you from being exposed to people from different cultures, tribes, and perspectives. So basically saying if you want to grow, you need to have friendships, churches, associations, blogs, books that make sure they don't tell you just what you want to hear all the time. Mm. That was interesting, interesting to me. Yeah, that was like a little bit different than I expected. I, because I, I do think he's right. And you and I talk about this, like getting out of your echo chambers. I don't think I would have necessarily applied it to spiritual growth. So I think that's an interesting take. I think that's exactly how I felt about it when I read that one is I would say it's a positive thing to have not echo chambers, right? To have other people mm-hmm. in your life. But I'm not sure I would have said here's a way to grow or right. to use his language, not grow by keeping people close to you. It's a, it, I get what he's saying. I yeah. think it's right. I probably wouldn't have put that on the list. Right. Um, but yeah, we do this now, right? We social media allows us to just get into our own echo chambers. And I do think it's important to listen, to read, to interact with people kind of across a spectrum. Now I don't know that that means you need to spend time with people who are, fundamentally different than you know like right right you know if if you're in if you're very concerned about um race and Mm -hmm. seeing things i'm not sure that means you're like well i better go befriend the local kkk leader like i don't know right you could stretch this too far is my point but i do think being challenged by what you think theologically and societally i think is great and and to to his words it'll help you grow yeah, I, I think that that's what I would just say is maybe like a small like countermeasure would be, you know, sometimes especially because voices of culture are so, so loud. Like sometimes for me, I almost need to insulate myself with people who are like, no, we're we're still in it. We're still running after like Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're still loving the church. We're still. So I think both things can be true. Like you've got mm-hmm. your community of people who are following Jesus together with some similar beliefs. And then also you're learning and you're growing from other people. All right, right. three. Uh, I'll just read the last. uh, I'll read the last three to you, Brian, and you can take one if you want to. Never take any risks. If you want to ensure you're the exact same person you were five years ago, be conservative in everything you do so that you don't take any risks. He says, but here's the thing. If you construct a life with minimal risk, you're essentially editing out 
the need for faith. That's a good Mm. one. We can come back to that. Four, keep patting yourself on the back. He says, there's a reason the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You only grow and you only find wisdom for life when you realize that you need to grow and you need wisdom for life. So he basically says a lot of young guys do this. They don't read, study, ask questions because they think they've got it all figured out. I thought that one was kind of a kind of an interesting one. And then the last one is this. He says, here's how you won't grow in uh, spirituality or in your spiritual life. Five, chase trends and dis faithfulness. Hmm. If you want to have a life of unfruitfulness, keep chasing new trends and paradigms. Keep looking for the easy way out the shortcuts. Yeah. And he says, people who stay the same are people who don't like to work hard at growth, who don't want to put in the blood, sweat, and tears of a life of impact. That's Any good. of those stand out to you? Yeah, they're all good. Now, thankfully, yeah. by the age of 45 now, we do know everything. So we're not like that anymore. <laughs> right. We're not, we're not the young people in this anymore. You know, the difficult one for me there that I think is so right is the one about risk taking. Mm-hmm, I've yeah. shared with you before, I'm not a huge risk taker, which I think could surprise some people because I started a church. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, I'm not a risk taker. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the older I get, the more risk averse I am, right? Like mm-hmm. you're... It's why they say when you're in your 20s, put your uh, put your 401k in the in the really high yield, risky stocks. But when you get <laughs> right. older, make right. them a little, you know, it's kind of important. And so I, I do think he's right. I think one of the purposes of faith is it carries us through these risks, right? Like you mm. step out in faith and God shows up and your faith is emboldened. And yeah. we see that throughout scripture. Uh, and so therefore, if you're not a risk taker and particularly a risk taker for the gospel, we're not talking about skydiving here. Right, we're not talking right. about swimming right. with sharks or whatever right. else. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about risking for the kingdom and mm. to stretch your faith. That one challenges me because I don't know yeah. that that's who I am. And so therefore, I don't know that's who I am as a Christ follower either. Yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a good one too. I'm glad you came back to it because I wanted to. I felt like that one. You're right. There's something about getting older where you stay a little risk averse. So I think just to you know maybe ask God to even give you the opportunity to take a risk and then you say yes to it and see what God might do. I think that would be a way to start there. Let me let me tell you how Dan ends this article. He says, my generation, we love to talk big about how we're going to change the world. (laughs) But I wonder if we value faithfulness and steadiness like previous generations. If you want an insignificant life of spurts and starts and stops, keep chasing the next big thing. Keep avoiding the hard choices, the sweat and the grind of daily life. Keeping your hand at the wheel year after year ensures a life of depth of weight of character. Love Mm. that. I think that's a a good final word for us today. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 